another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast, coming to you live, well, because it's not live when you're listening to this, but it's live as I'm talking, if that makes sense. Uh, this is Ben Sandig, I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic, and holy crap, the Washington football team went to Pittsburgh and defeated the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers, they did it for, after trailing 14 zip, they win 23-17, wow. The, the 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 win of the Ron Rivera fault. Well, it's obviously the win of the Ron Rivera era. Sorry, it might be the win of the last decade. A uh, lot to discuss on what what this mean what this win means. What does it mean for this team going forward? What does it mean for the rest of this season? The playoff hunt is for real now. Plenty of that to discuss. I'm going to do that with uh, our pal Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times Dispatch. In addition to that. Because I was away for a few days, missed the to d- miss discussing the John Wall trade for the Wizards. I spoke at length with my pal Jay Michael, who used to cover the Wizards uh, locally, now covers the Indiana Pacers for the uh, Indianapolis Star. Uh, and so he and I talked at length about John Wall, his, his his time in Washington, the trade itself, Russell Westbrook. And a lot to get into. And also the sort of the angle I think is pretty interesting that I haven't heard too many people talk about. We'll get all that here in just a moment on the Standard Group Only podcast. Uh, if you want to subscribe, you can do so on iTunes, Stitcher, all those places. You want to subscribe to The Athletic, that would be fantastic. You want to find me on Twitter, at Ben Standick. Um, all that would be great. I don't want to delay much more than that. But just to say, uh, a tremendous win. Hopefully everybody got to appreciate it. Got to enjoy it. Uh, life moves fast in the in the world of the NFL, and there's four games to go. But this was a fun one for sure. So let's just get right into it right off the bat. Uh, Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times Dispatch is going to join me here on the Standard Groom Only Podcast. Wow, what, what, so much to get into. Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times Dispatch is on the other end of the line. He's going to help uh, sort help me sort through this uh, first. Before I get there, in the else, Michael. Ron Rivera described the post-game locker room as euphoria. What? What is, do, you, do you have a one-word description for how you would describe what uh, what we just witnessed? Oh my goodness, man! That, that was a, a jaw dropper. If I can use a hyphen, I guess I because because here's the thing that it, it it reminded me a touch of the you like that game. Um, they weren't going to win. They were down fourteen nothing in Pittsburgh. They made too many mistakes. It, it was over. Um, you, you don't win against an 11-0 and team when you spot them 14 at home at their place. I I thought it was over at 14 nothing, and I think it was over at 14 nothing. And to come back and to grind it out the way they did, they showed something tonight. Yeah, I mean, w- w- without a question, lot, lots, lot, lots of resolve. The game was pretty sloppy early on, but uh, they listened to a head coach who had repeatedly told them, Effectively, you got to learn how to win, and in some ways, that just means when you face the bully, you got to push back, and that's essentially what they did in a lot of different uh, ways. So we'll get into all that uh, here. Obviously, uh, just a couple quick reminders. Obviously, if you're listening to this, however you found the podcast, appreciate it. But you also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff. Uh, you can read me on the Athletic. Read Michael at the Richmond Times Dispatch. Uh, I'm going to read whatever he wrote uh, as soon as we're done with this podcast. <laughs> and um, and obviously follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ben Sandig, and he is at Michael PRTD. Um, all right, let, 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 let's get in. Let's get into this. I, it's 
I don't know where you were going into the game exactly. I mean, I, I, I've said it on the radio, so I'll just state it here. I took Pittsburgh in my office pool. Uh, I made yeah. that, I made that decision Thursday, Friday, somewhere, somewhere in that range. But it, as it started to build more towards this game, and I started to think about it a bit more, just thinking from the, especially from the Pittsburgh end, just how much, how taxing this has got to be for them. They obviously didn't look completely with it in their previous win against Baltimore, which had obviously was delayed for several days because of the coronavirus. This game got delayed from Sunday to Monday because of it. Pittsburgh didn't have all their guys. They have the pressure of the 11-0 and thing, blah, blah, blah. Washington will give no Fs about that because they got their own problems starting from the summer on. Uh, Washington's had plenty to overcome. They're not going to worry about what somebody else is dealing with. So, but, but anyway, with Pittsburgh dealing with what they were dealing with and Washington's momentum, I did start to feel like maybe I was on the wrong end of things. Um, and obviously, it, although I didn't feel that way in the first half necessarily, uh, what, where were you going into this and what was maybe sort of for the biggest surprise for you based on what you thought coming into the game? Yeah, I was on a podcast in Pittsburgh uh, this morning and they, they said, who do, you, who do you pick to win? I said, I, I just, I call it a Kool-Aid game where everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid all week. The line's moving. Hey, Washington's going to prove something. They're going to show they belong. And just, I, I lean on my, I don't have decades of history, but I've got enough history to know these things always end in crushing disappointment. That That is what happens at the end of a Kool-Aid game. You get a Monday night massacre. You get Pittsburgh coming to D.C. You get the RG3 all-in for week one game. It doesn't end well. Um, and so, so I picked against them. But to go back to your point, here's what impressed me about tonight's win. They didn't steal one from a team who got trapped. Pittsburgh played well. Pittsburgh was physical. They hit hard. They, they, they were given their all. They were fast. They were swarming to the ball. This was not a team that ran out of gas. This was a team that got beat fair and square by the Washington football team. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, Washington had its share of mistakes early on, all three phases of the game, penalties, uh, just offensive miscues. Uh, the, you know, the, the defense wasn't – well, the, the defense was pretty good early on, but still wasn't – I mean, they had the, – what the fourth down stop was in the first half, right? I, I've lost all track of, uh, of time here, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that fourth down stop uh, that, that highlighted by Chase Young uh, making a fantastic stop on a run play uh, on fourth and goal from the one uh, did happen early. But, you know, whatever. They weren't – they were making mistakes – on that side of the ball as well. But at Pittsburgh also, I don't know how many drop passes the Steelers ended up with. There was a ton. I think it was seven. seven. Uh, that, that I assume that was more or at least comparable to the number of missed tackles that Washington had early on. But as the game yeah. progressed, you could really feel Washington tighten up. And it's amazing how this always happens. They get a field goal um, right before the end of the first half, literally right before uh, which was a weird sequence in and of itself, which we can't even get into, but it involved Alex Smith running <laughs> off the field with a football. Uh, <laughs> so, so bizarre. Um, th- that momentum, that they got a field goal there, then they score. Um, I don't know, drive, is it fair to say that's the drive of the year? Uh, the, the Going 82 yards, taking up, what, seven minutes or so off the clock to open the second half, get a touchdown, and... From that point on, it definitely felt like it was uh, was game on. Is that the drive of the year right now? 
Yeah, Alex Smith runs off with the football, and that's the second most bizarre thing on that drive involving Alex Smith, who had a bloody sock like Kurt Schilling back in that, that game for the Red Sox way back then. It was a bizarre drive all the way around. Cam Sims with a stiff arm out of nowhere that was vicious to, to get an extra 20 yards out of the first catch. Uh, I'm, I'm not even talking about the drive you're talking about, but w- what a sequence to, to finish with the three, go in with the momentum, come back out. Um, I, to me, J.D. McKissick's the story in the second half. Antonio Gibson was gone. They clearly missed him. They, they found a way to make it work, though, with J.D. McKissick. I, I thought he really enabled a lot of things. You know, he, he opened up the Logan Thomas passes. He opened up uh, the deep passes. He opened up the run game for Peyton Barber a little bit. Uh, I think J.D. McKissick stepping into that Antonio Gibson role and filling it uh, was really the key to a lot of the offensive success that got that role in their second half. I mean, it's amazing. We've gone from the beginning of the year, and I think correctly so, wondering, other than Terry McLaurin, what do they have offensively as like a playmaker? Who, who, what do they have? And then, like, you know, at training camp, I think we could start to see some things with the running backs, but still, I don't, you know, it wasn't until the season really started that we, we could maybe say with some confidence, okay, but with Gibson and McKissick, they have more than just McLaurin. But then still, a receiver, eh, you know, I don't know, what do they really have? Okay, Logan Thomas has started to show some more things, but still, what do you have at, at, at wide receiver beyond McLaurin? Well, let's talk. Okay, Terry McLaurin today, his quietest game of the year. Two catches, 14 yards. Pittsburgh obviously was focused on him. Gibson goes out in the first quarter. But right there, those are your two best playmakers. There goes the offense. Oh, wait, that's not what happened. You mentioned McKissick. Ten, <laughs> ten catches on ten targets. Logan Thomas, Man. nine catches on nine targets. Uh, they had a combined 168 yards. Logan Thomas had the touchdown catch from Alex Smith. And then you have Cam Sims, who got the game ball post game from, from Ron Rivera. Five catches, 92 yards. Almost seemed like he had double that based on the – it seemed like every time he got the ball, he broke free for 20, 30 yards. I personally loved – he had not one but two catches with his, between his knees, although the second one didn't count. Um, <laughs> yeah. th- that, that, was, that was a highlight. I mean, they really – you know, they never really got it going on the ground, but through the air, they were efficient, which is, you know, the Alex Smith staple. And they just had just guys, one guy after another step up. And, and that really, you know, that, that sort of on some level, I mean, epitomizes the, 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 where this team is at. I mean, Cam Sims in particular, he starts the year on the practice squad and now he became, uh, you know, their go-to wide receiver in this game against the team that entered the, the, the week, uh, allowing the fewest points uh, in the league. Cam Sims is legit good. I, big catches, they, starting with that Giants game in New York, I know it wasn't a game winner. And, shoot, we're going to go back and analyze that now this week, now that it means something. Uh, but, but, you know, the game winner there, and that, that that put him on the map. But he's been rolling ever since. Just all that guy does is make clutch catches when they ask him to. I think he's a legit NFL starter, wide receiver. Now, I, I've been hesitant on so many guys. Steven Sims, I have not fully bought in on Steven Sims as an NFL starter. I know everybody loves the speed. I don't know that the, the, the total package is there. I think they're just, there are too many mistakes. I, I'm not all the way in on that. Isaiah Wright, great story. I'm not all the way in on that. I don't know. There's something about Cam Sims. When the bright lights are on, he delivers. I'm all in. I think Cam Sims is an NFL starter for the next few years. I, I'm with you on, on that. That's definitely a, a fun fun topic to consider going forward. But he's got a lot of traits that you want. I just think, like a lot of these young guys coming into the league, he needed to learn what it took to win. And I think that's like to the point of epitomizing where this team is at. That's a guy who, like, 
how did he get back on this team? Special teams and blocking down the field as a receiver. Those are the things that initially got him, got the attention of the coaching staff, got him back on the field, and now he's able to take the other parts of his game. And like I said, this isn't about Cam Sims per se. It's just that he, using him is to epitomize sort of what um, – what, what took place here, here here's here's what i would use to epitomize the mood post game montez sweat shows up post game in the on the zoom wearing sunglasses <laughs> it's indoors and it's the sun was down long prior to that so i'm not sure why the sunglasses were on but uh kudos kudos to him we had dustin hopkins out there making the rare zoom post game appearance with uh, a white uh, cowboy hat on uh, the, 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 the you know, hashtag mood was definitely uh, being used uh, post game appropriately for for for, the, for these guys and and look I guess the question really now I mean there's there's a thousand questions but the one question is okay uh, this, this NFC East I get it it's still a, a joke that the that the two teams at the top are five and seven I don't know how many teams in the league right now have longer winning streaks right now than New York's four and Washington's three and both of them. Uh, got their wins their last wins over legit playoff super bowl contending opponents so we everybody has to stop with the broad nfc east jokes sort of for now you can pick on dallas and philly but you can't on the other two teams did this, so i guess what i kind of wrote about was that to me this game signaled, signaled for washington that the momentum is real and so i guess my question to you is how much do you overall buy in that something is changing. I'm not saying they're winning the Super Bowl. They may not even make the playoffs. But I'm I'm saying I've seen enough now to buy in that that this is this change is real. That something is legitimately happening here. Yeah, just a parade of guys on that post game uh, interview uh, podium. Just hey, you know, Ron Rivera convinced us we could win tonight. Ron Rivera's got this. You know, he doesn't waste time in practice. He's got us where we want to be. He, he throws like there's. There's a culture there, and there's a culture that's emerging. I, I think that's your big takeaway. These are – you can't ignore back-to-back big games, Ben. You can't, in Dallas, on Thanksgiving, on the short week, that's a game they don't ever win. They're 2-8 they're and eight all time in that game. They won it this year. In Pittsburgh, 11-0, and 0, that's a game nobody wins. They found a way to win it. it you know, this, this is a team that, that believes it's competitive in every game, and I – I think you can throw out a couple outliers. The, the Rams game is an outlier for sure. But but on the whole, they've been competitive and feisty in every game they've been in. It's been everything fans here have been asking for uh, for a long time, a, a team they can be proud of and really root for. I, I think they've got that right now. You, you mentioned, I think you mentioned that because of the whole Washington, New York now head-to-head situation, the fact that the Giants swept the season series, it's gonna everybody's going to think about on some level – what if Ron Rivera kicks the extra point in week six at New York and they go to overtime and we don't know that they would have won, but yep. like that's That's a big, what if what what's interesting to me on the, what if front now, it's not so much like that. There was any one moment like that where you could point to, but you go back to those early weeks of the season, they start off, you know, the, the first month one in four or sorry, sorry, one in three with Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. And it was after that third game where Ron Rivera really seemed to shift his thinking on Haskins, where he went from, oh, we got to let the young man work through his problems to, you know what, we think we have something here. We maybe need to make a, we may need to have a cutoff point, even if I, maybe he didn't say that. I, I've lost track of what, what, what is real and uh-huh. what is fake anymore. But 
we'll have to ask Pete Haley about that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but like you, but John Bostic tonight. Like, I think you and I were asking questions about when did you guys sense that this was happening? Cam Sims said basically right when Ron Rivera showed up. Montez Sweat said in training camp, and John Bostic said those early games you could see something was happening. We just weren't making those one or two or three key plays. And I am not going to do this, but I would be curious. Maybe it's an off-season thing. I don't know. But going back to that, to that Cleveland game, I completely did not buy into the idea that they were close. I understand that, to me, I mean, I just couldn't overlook, I guess, Dwayne Haskins stuff. And also, Cleveland was, you know, and look, Cleveland has played well since, right? So I think that sort of validates my idea that they weren't that close. And yet, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they really were just these one, two, three or plays away, and it was just, you know, they had to make the, the QB change. And that, combined with just learning how to win, really uh, shifted things. I was watching uh, the Urban Meyer pregame show. That's a Fox pregame show in college football uh, the other day. He had a, a really good thing. It was basically like, if you're an NFL coach, you are never losing because of a lack of talent. Because anybody you've got is a stud. Like, anybody you've got was a college all-star, best player on their team, et cetera. I'm not sure I fully buy into that, but I get what he's saying. That, that generally speaking, even if you've just got to call somebody tomorrow, like if there's a big injury and they got to call somebody tomorrow, he's coming off the street. He's not a scrub. He's a guy who dominated college football for four years and like barely got a look at the senior bowl. But, you know, there, there is talent out there. And, uh, you know, I, I think in the NFL, there's such a premium on system, culture, scheme. Why does Bill Belichick win every year? You know, why, why do the same coaches seem to win every year? in a league that is designed to funnel the very best players to the very worst teams. I think there's, I think there's something to that, uh, that, you know, the best coaches establish cultures and systems. Uh, and I, I think the culture part of it, Ron Rivera is so good at, and, and we've seen that this year, all the players are totally bought in. Is he a good football coach? I don't know. Sorry to throw the, the cold water on this. He might not be. Um, you know, the record in Carolina is mixed. And he's, he's made some head scratchers this year. He, he might not actually be a good football coach, but he is a great culture builder. And that is exactly what this organization needs right now. And everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid, and it's been pretty fun to watch. Yeah, without, without a doubt. I was thinking about uh, at, at, the ne- at one of our next Zooms, just bypassing asking Ron Rivera a question about football and just saying, hey, Ron, I'm kind of unmotivated these days. The, the, the world's kind of getting to me. Could you kind of like, <laughs> kind of like yell at me or just like, you know, give me some of your inspirational quotes to get me motivated because he's clearly worked for these guys. Uh, and uh, there's definitely something to be said for, I always think about this to your point, like in college basketball, there are clearly some coaches who are fantastic motivators, great recruiters, you know, eye for talent, but maybe X's and O's aren't their thing. I'm not going to, I'm not saying Rivera is, is that, and I'm, I don't think you were saying that necessarily either, but clearly he excels yeah, in okay. some aspects I, I, of this. I, I, I was kind of applying it, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, he clearly excels in some of these things. And look, nobody is everything, you know, nobody gets a, you know, gets an A plus in every category. The question is, you know, what else do you have? He obviously likes his coaching staff. They can help fill in the gap to some degree if there are, if there are in fact uh, flaws. And, uh, and obviously you look, you look at the offensive line in particular, um, maybe not so much today, uh, you know, look, going up against Pittsburgh has a very good front, and they were they, they were pushed around at times. But at the same point, you know, they've had mix and match throughout the season, and they've largely held up. And you have to give some give coaching credit um, on that front as well. Um, I, I know I need to get you out of here because you've been kind to talk to me here late into the into the night. Um, 
boy, I, you know, when this three-game stretch started at Pittsburgh, at San Francisco, and then Seattle, you know, before b- going into the week, I mean, I thought realistically probably they're going 0-3. Maybe they beat San Francisco. And then they got to hopefully win the last two and just pray that the Giants only win one more game. And then the Giants beat Seattle on Sunday. I'm like, well, <laughs> I guess I guess that's probably it. The Giants will certainly win one of their last four, meaning Washington has to win three sure. out of five. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Now they beat Pittsburgh, and I and then and then the Giants beat Seattle. Seattle comes to Washington in a couple weeks. I've now lost all sense of what I think could it, it is possible. It's not like San Francisco is like some dominant team. Uh, Seattle clearly is flawed defensively, and then the last two games, Carolina and Philadelphia. Uh, at Philadelphia. So I guess the question, Michael, is <laughs> are they winning this division? <laughs> I, you, okay, so here's the, I guess, the craziest take of them all. They're they're not going to win the division. I think the Giants will. I think the Giants have a favorable schedule. Is it crazy to think that they could be a wild card team? I, I tweeted this out yesterday after the Seattle game. They're like, hey, just because I, I hadn't thought about it myself. But when you look at the standings and saw that Minnesota was six and six and the last wild card, and now yeah, if Washington were to win, they'd be five and seven. Obviously, they did that. It's, I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. And there's too many. <laughs> there's too many variables. Like they have to. Obviously, they're a game back. They lost tiebreakers to the Cardinals, who are also six and six. The Lions are still in the mix, and then there's you know all that stuff. But the fact that that's even a discussion is nuts. Because of where things were yeah. a week ago, forget you know, over the course of the season. Yeah, I mean it's it's now something we have to pay attention to. Absolutely. It it you know th- this is such a big win. I, I I said after the Dallas game, I was on the fence about declaring it the biggest win since the 2012 season. Obviously, the 2012 finale, RG3 beating Dallas, and that was Alfred Morris beating Dallas at home, full house, playoffs on the line. That is the biggest win of the Dan Snyder era, I believe, uh, you know, setting aside playoff, you know, the playoff games and things of that nature. I, I just think that it was a massive cultural moment in Washington, D.C. with everything going on with Robert. I, I, was, I was saying after the Thanksgiving game, I think that's the biggest win since then. You can put some nominees on the board, uh, you know, them, them beating Philly, uh, to make the playoffs there with Kirk Cousins. Do, do you like that game, of course? Um, you know, there, there have been some very nice wins, uh, so, some big moments. Uh, the, the Packers game Sunday night football was, was a big one uh, in, in the Cousins era. This is definitively it. Uh, this is bigger than the Dallas win because this was a good team. And they, hey, I mentioned this earlier. I'll say it again. They didn't catch him sleeping. Pittsburgh played a, a very good game. Uh, they, they don't know how to run the football. I don't know how you get to 11-0 not knowing how to run the football. It's very strange. We'll ask Chris Russell about that someday. Uh, but, you know, the, the, this was a big win. This was a validating win. Uh, wherever they go from here, I am inclined to predict they will not make the playoffs. Uh, I'm open to being proven wrong on that. I, I don't think they will, but I, I think they got what they needed to get out of this season, and, and that is to validate Ron Rivera and what he's doing here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'm with you on the big momentum push because the one thing to me that I've always that I've thought is different now than at other times is so many other times there would be a big win, and it just I don't know if it meant anything for all kinds of reasons, the organizational structure, yep. the, the players who were involved. This is different when all when it's Chase Young and Montez Sweat 
Um, and, and guys like that are leading the way, and it's Ron Rivera's first year. It feels like they're building towards something, and that is about as optimistic as I could feel for Washington, all things considered, despite the 5-7 and seven record. That's uh, <laughs> they, 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 if, you, if you don't feel positive about where things are after today, I don't know what to tell you. But that's why they play the game. <laughs> we'll, we'll, see, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, That's why they play the games. All right, I want to. Uh, I, wa- I have uh, things to discuss with you offline, so we're going to hang up here uh, on those on, the, on this. But Michael, definitely appreciating. Uh, also, 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 at the scene for the listeners, I'm in beautiful Breezewood, Pennsylvania. Here, um, you know, def- definitely a, a great historic uh, place here. Uh, getting ready to check into the Holiday Inn Express. Uh, I'm not. A, I'm not a football guru, but I stayed at the Holiday Inn Express last night. Um, I think a lot of people flying high up off of this, so I think it's going to be a very fun week in Washington. Absolutely. All right, go read Michael uh, at the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Appreciate it, man. Good times. All right, um, and now joining the, uh, the podcast, because we've got to talk about the Washington Wizards since I was uh, off the grid when they made the massive John Wall for Russell Westbrook trade. Gonna, I brought somebody on who you all want to hear from, in theory, but yeah, you, have, you have not you have not heard from him in such a form because he uh, technically covers another team in the East, which we will be discussing to some degree as well. He is uh, every wrestler's every wrestling heel's favorite heel. He is uh, Jay Michael. What's happening? Uh, not much, man. You know, just uh, you know, uh, getting ready for the season. But um, I'm not quite ready for the season. I'm not so sh- quite sure I'm ready to see Wall in a Houston Rockets uniform or Westbrook in a Wizards uniform either. So um, I'm just kind of off balance, like completely. So I, I don't know which way to go, left or right, up or down. Yeah, I mean, a, a trade like this, it, it, no matter when it would happen, was, you know, it was a pretty pretty monumental deal just to base on the names involved and, and what that mean to the teams, particularly Wall here, but obviously Westbrook, a former MVP. But to do it this year where everything is completely chaotic, uh, to use a, a Yiddish word, curse word, fakakta, uh, like I, everything seems completely off. I, this is how I felt covering the Washington football team too this year, where like things are just like just don't quite make sense. And like, yeah, it's it, my equilibrium is so off. Yeah, so see, I didn't watch Wall's press conference today. We're t- we're, t- we're taping this Sunday Sunday night, and he gave his press conference today. I didn't see it other than just like somebody had a screenshot. But yeah, certainly he's gonna look weird uh, for sure seeing him in another team's uh, in another team's jersey. Um, you can comment on that if you want, but I, I, I was going to take us in a different direction beyond just simply what do you think of the trade, but did you have any, uh, anything else you want to tell the world, like how, life is going all right and all that kind of stuff? Life is going great. Um, I'm actually not in an NBA city right now. I've been down here uh, in the Sarasota area since uh, March. So um, given how COVID's kind of thrown everything for a loop, I mean, trying to cover the league right now, um, I just always feel like I'm a, I'm a step behind just because we don't have that in-person access um, that we used to have. And, you know, you're hearing, you know, a lot of the stuff that we get right now, at least in the short term, is kind of like the group stuff that, you know, you used to get after a game, which, as you know, is like the, the most insignificant stuff of all. So it's really, really having to work hard, working phones really hard uh, to get a sense of what's going on behind the scenes. I think everybody who does this job can probably attest to that. It's just doing this job and trying to break stuff and get beyond the press conference type of stuff, which 
people quote that stuff. It's kind of funny. You watch people put stuff out on Twitter, like somehow that's gospel. And it's like, no, no. The stuff they say publicly and admit on record is what they're willing to tell you through a filter. <laughs> the real stuff about what really happens, you know, that that's they're not going to say that in a Zoom call. So um, just really getting readjusted to everything is kind of different. And, you know, John Wallace, you and I both know, is one of those guys that covering him in person is gold. <laughs> like, he will say stuff that no one else would say, whether it's on record or on the side. Or in, the Wizards are a team that really, um, you know, they wear their emotions on their sleeve. At least traditionally, that's what they've done in my experience. And not being able to physically be there, be there I think, kind of um, – kind of, it's taken a little bit of the edge away for me. And I don't know how you guys feel about it, but it's just not quite the same. I'm, I'm not sure what this is going to look like going forward, not only because of that, but obviously because of uh, I think we're going to have some games canceled and rescheduled and moved around. And this isn't going to go smoothly. It's just what we, we got to expect with COVID. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, obviously we're seeing in the NFL things happening, uh, college, college sports, constant uh, cancellations and changes. And we just had a, a big uh, college football game with two teams that wasn't scheduled for like 72 hours before they played because they're all everything's on the fly. I don't think the NBA will will readjust to that degree. But yeah, things will things will happen uh, for sure. And we'll, and we'll see. Um, We'll see what happens. Um, all right, let, let, let's get into this wall Westbrook trade, but we're going to talk about kind of where, where the Wizards now fall in the East. Obviously, J. Michael covers the Pacers, and they're one of those teams that were in the playoffs last year. Um, but I think this trade maybe pulls Washington closer to Indiana, but I don't know if it pushes them up enough to, to get interesting, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Here's one thing I don't think I've heard, and I, as I said, I took myself off the grid for a few days, so I was keeping up on what was being said around the, around the league. But, you know, I don't know if I heard this. I don't know if it's interesting, but I, th I thought it was interesting. Okay. We, we said for a long time that John Wall's contract was the worst in the league. And when, when that is said, if you believe it to be true, but it's at least in the discussion, what we mean by that is in order to trade him to somebody else, you would have to give up a lot of stuff to go with it. Multiple first-round picks, maybe as many as three, depending on the team. And you're also not going to get, like, equal stuff back. You're, you're basically like if you just, if the Wizards had decided we're out, we just have to move, move on. They would have had to go like I said, two or three picks, and then they're bring, they're taking in crappy contracts that somebody else has. Nothing that interesting. But because they were able to get a, a partner here who had a guy who also needed to get moved because Westbrook had, had wanted out, there was things going wrong in Houston clearly. Who has the exact same contract? Westbrook was also on the list of worst contracts, but not as bad. One, he plays. Two, he's, you know, uh, he's Russell Westbrook. He's still an all-NBA level player. Wall hasn't played in a couple of years. Here's the thing that's crazy about this trade, I think. Both teams gave up less than they would have had to if they had made the deal with anybody else. Like I said, the Wizards realistically would have had to give up two or three first-round picks and, and maybe not any with protections. They were, Or at least not a lot of protections as much as they did now we're the worst case scenario they give up if, uh, if it's picked ninth or later i think mm -hmm. uh so no protections on or, or sorry i mean no they only they only give they give up one pick not a huge protection and it's 2023 on top of that they got the better player <laughs> in the trade right now i mean we don't know where wall's at and westbrook is obviously still really good so they got the better player to boot which boosts their chances to actually make the playoffs this year it also 
were it, they also chose Bradley Beal over Wall, which will go a long way. You would think towards Bradley Beal. How Bradley Beal thinks of them. They still need to make the playoffs, and he was kind of non-committal the other day about staying with them long term. But okay, whatever. Uh, as one um, league source said to me, basically, he liked the trade because if nothing else, Tommy bought him. Tommy Shepard bought himself two years to trick Bradley Beal. That was a quote: trick Bradley Beal into staying. So that was like from the Wizards' perspective, like. You know, I mean, they didn't give up much to get the better player and help themselves immediately. On the flip side, Houston also would have to give up picks to get up word of Westbrook. Now, maybe only one, but at least one. Instead, they got a pick. Now, I don't know if I, I don't like the Harden and Wall pairing, and that's a separate issue. But at the same time, like if Wall, you know, he, I don't know how good he is right now. And, and the Wizards were obviously already pulling back on how much they were going to use him. But okay, he at least looks spry in these workout videos. <laughs> And, and like I said, Houston didn't have to give up a first-round pick to kind of start over with that. So it is a really weird trade, I think, in that perspective. That's on top of the fact, by the way, that these guys are more or less the same player. I mean, there's slight differences, but basically high energy, we're super fast, can't shoot a three, doesn't know they probably can't shoot a three. Uh, th- th- there's a lot to like, but the, the same issues are with both. I-, I think this is an incredibly fascinating trade from that perspective. What, 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 what do you think about that aspect? Yeah, I mean, in order to trade a bad contract, and yeah, you're right. Like people think when you say somebody has a bad contract, that means they suck as a player. That's not that's not the case. You could be a good player on a contract that's you know not favorable for all sorts of reasons. Um, but uh, in order to trade a bad contract, you you do you have to give up. You know, let, let's go back to just a couple of years ago to get rid of a bad contract, which was Andrew Nicholson. What do you have to do? You had to you had to attach a first round pick to it. Um, and I think that was unprotected to unload that contract. So normally when you have to trade a bad contract, yes, you do have to give up some extra assets because basically that other team is functioning as, you know, what they call mythologically a sin eater. You know, they got to eat your sin and the cost for eating your sin for you is attaching draft pick or picks to them. In this case, you didn't have to do that. Now, with the, I think with the protections, that helps. Obviously, the Wizards not giving up a pick in next year's draft was key. Um, and I think that kind of underscores, you know, I've said this to you about the draft. The draft is tricky. Uh, the draft doesn't mean everything to the same to, – to, doesn't mean the same thing to every team. And teams give up picks or trade picks based on what their projections are, what those upcoming drafts are going to be. So if they think a draft is not going to be a really good draft – and you say, man, I can't believe they gave up a first-round pick. But if their intel tells them that's not going to be a good draft, that first-round pick, even with protections, isn't as costly as maybe it would be, you know, for next season would it be 2021, right? Next season, if you gave up a first-round pick, even if it's protected in next year's draft, that's a more valuable pick than one in, in the, I think it was 2023, that the Wizards gave, gave up a pick for uh, potentially. So – Uh, when you can throw in all of those factors and you know it it helps sometimes having a bad contract on your roster like when I I dealt with the Pacers and people you know were wondering like man in in recent years about the Pacers making trades I said you know it's kind of hard because they don't have bad contracts like it's weird like they didn't have anybody on their team making 30 $40 $40 million or even $20 million who was either a bad player or somebody who was severely overpaid. So it's hard to make a deal. And sometimes you can have such 
such good players or good contracts with good players, it actually handicaps your ability to make moves. And I think this was a perfect example. I don't know ultimately if either team wins this trade. Um, I think you would have to give the nod short term to Houston because of the health reasons. I mean, uh, to, to Washington, because if nothing else, Russell Westbrook is probably going to be a healthier version of himself than John Wall, at least in the short term, is going to be. J- John may never be the guy that he ever was before. And in that case, the Wizards could win big time. Um, but they are basically the same player. Because if you analytically go through how John Wall and Russell Westbrook generate their shots and most of their usage, pick and roll is usually number one is the pick and roll ball handler. Uh, transition and then isolation. And then spot ups and and then in, in, in post ups. Those are the, the two, you know, which isn't very much. Those last two, they don't do very much at all. Those top three, pick and roll ball handling, transition, isolation, they are identical. It's weird when you look at it all the way down the board in those five categories, that's the way they're used or they get their shots the most. And I think the only difference is if you look at it just numbers wise. John Wall is a much better spot-up shooter than Russell, Russell Westbrook, which most people probably wouldn't believe, but he actually is. John Wall averages better than a point. If you look at the last season that he played uh, when he was healthy, fully healthy, that 17-18 that, uh, season, he averaged better than one point per possession on, on spot-ups. And, that's, and he's way better than Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is at 0.7, 0.8. So actually they're identical in how they get their shots. The, the biggest difference is I just said, the health issue, which goes to Westbrook, uh, the spot-up issue, which in theory, Wall playing off of James Harden is potentially a better option spotting up than Russell Westbrook. And I think that defies conventional wisdom. But again, I mean, how long is it going to take John Wall to be John Wall again? And maybe he's never that guy again. But here's the flip side of it too, Ben. Maybe the fact that he can never, he's not going to be able to be the John Wall that he was before the injury, maybe that actually helps him a little bit because he'll be a better fit with James Harden in the, in, in the future. But that, that's, right, well, just, that's just speculation. Yeah, that's a lot of speculation. A lot we'll come, of speculation. We'll, we'll, come, we'll come to that part when we, when we examine the, uh, the Houston uh, part of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, by the way, one other thing the, the Wizards got that I think is important, and I'm sure some people, if they listen to this, doesn't pick out one thing I say, you know, they'll ignore – me covering John Wall since he entered the league or other things I've done or said about him, whatever. But like the reality is I think Russell Westbrook, I, I, I think will help them from a culture perspective. Like, as I've said before that yes. the, I've said that prior to this trade, this is the least interested I've been in the wizards since mm-hmm. John Wall's arrival. And the large reason I stated was to be honest, was John Wall, because I didn't think he would be good enough to come back and help Bradley Beal push them into realistic, forget just making the eighth seed. I'm not discounting that completely, but you know, being an actually good functional team and that those two would be able to cohesively work together. I, that didn't seem likely. And look, they made this trade in part because I don't think they thought it was likely. (laughs) They don't give up a first round pick if they thought John Wall was going to be able to help them immediately. And that he and Bradley Beal would get along long-term. Why would you, why would you make that trade? Um, Then then the other part is if you traded Bradley Beal and got stuff, whatever, now all the younger players, who's the adult in the room? It's John Wall, the guy who I didn't personally freak out about it, the gang signs the way other people did, but okay, that was a thing. And there was other things happening in that video. I personally was more annoyed by the by the interview he gave on ESPN where he's playing spades during a live interview. 
I mean, what kind of example is that? That is like crazy. And, and that's on top of like all the other stuff. You know, he, he I mean, neither one of these guys, Wall or Westbrook, is fantastic off the ball or anything like that. But John Wall, historically in his career, has not always come into to the season in the best of shape. I don't know what he's like now, but I'm just saying historically. Whereas Westbrook, this guy is a maniac. I mean, I say that in the most positive way. Like apparently today, his first practice with the team, he apparently showed up two hours early for, for practice. And that's not kissing butt to the new team. That's what he does. He will be a very hard worker and he will set the, the Wizards can point to him and say, look, everything that he does do, except for like the bad shooting uh, sense, don't do that. But like in terms of the yeah. working hard, you know, playing hard 48 minutes, all that kind of stuff, Westbrook's somebody can point to. So I think the Wizards improved on, on that front. Now let's get to the trade itself. I think you can, this is a trade I think you can easily point to in the short term, as we said. I think the Wizards did a really good job short term. They were really up against it, as I just said. To trade Wall in general to anybody would have been a challenge. And then once he says, once it comes out that he wants to be traded, now you're really stuck. So to only have to give up one first round pick, get the better player, uh, and all the other things I just said, that's a big, that's a big deal. That said, I personally think I don't know. I think they just basically kicked the can down the road in terms of some pain they're going to have to deal with. Of course. By, pain, by pain, I mean, what do you do with Bradley Beal? Now, maybe Bradley Beal and Westbrook get along great and there's nothing to worry about. But based on Westbrook's history in recent years, that hasn't always been the case. I'm not saying he and Harden at beef, or, but obviously he and Durant, you know, whatever. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like it ends well with Westbrook. And that's on top of the fact that what, what did we hear? Tommy Shepard said like 10 days ago, they're building around Bradley Beal. You think Russell Westbrook gives a crap about that? No, <laughs> no he, he does not. So I don't know what that means now. And if Westbrook does what Westbrook does, which can be a great thing until it's not, how does Bradley Beal react to that? So my guess is if you made me bet, I'm not trying to be a pessimist, but if you made me bet, I would bet that this does not end well. Now, maybe that's one year or two years, but that at some point, the issues that have come up with Westbrook's career that would have come up with Wall being here, I suspect, will resurface and they will have to have a make a have to figure something out with Bradley Beal one way or the other. So I think they just I think I like the trade from what they were stuck with, but I think they just delayed the inevitable that they're gonna have some pain to deal with with down the line. They had to do something. So yeah. I, I think the, you know that's the flip side. Even if this does blow up and it turns out to be, you know, Westbrook and Bradley Beal hate each other, I'm not gonna bash Tommy Shepard for making a move because Going, going into yet another season with the same dynamic with Wall and Beal, even let's, let's hypothesize that Wall was going to be himself again. It, it's, 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 it, it's the same stuff. It's this wash, rinse, repeat. Um, you know, you know, it, you know, when I was on the beat, you know, it, it got to a point where I could have just kept my stories, just kept like a form of, of certain stories because over time during a season, it was all the stuff, the same stuff was going to resurface. I just had to change the date, the score, and the opponent. Um, you know, you'll see Wall late in the game. The play is called for Bradley Beal. He dribbles out the shot clock, and he ends up taking a, a bad shot, and they lose the game, and they're salty with each other. And they'll go in front of the national media or go on ESPN and say, oh, no, we're best friends, and everybody will eat it up and say, oh, see, it was fake news. See, they like each other because they don't sit they – they're not behind the scenes – and they never saw what actually went on. Um, and, you know, it, when you see it through, when you see it raw and uncut, you know exactly what was going on with those guys. Um, and I think getting back to the point that you made about Wall not coming into camp in shape and making that comparison to Westbrook, that was the first thing I thought about. Like, 
Um, you know, I, I get what I get tired of, and I understand it, but I get tired of hearing folks in DC who every time a criticism, a constructive criticism, key, key, key word, constructive, is made about John Wall, the first thing they want to bring up is uh, that he gives these charities and communities. That's great. A lot of guys, Westbrook does the same thing. A lot of guys do that. I mean, I, I, I know it may be personal to them and they may have some personal story or connection, but he's not the only guy in the NBA with a lot of money who does that. So that alone does not make him unique. And, well, it, and also just to, to that point, like John Wall obviously has done a lot for this city yeah. from a charitable perspective. He's multiple charitable events and he just had a Thanksgiving one the other day. I, I, I attended his backpack giveaway most summers uh, for sure. So he's done a lot, but I would say that these things are separate. Separate. The, the main totally. reason the main reason why any of us talk about the any of these teams is not for their charitable endeavors it's because of what they do on the field or on the court so right. that's what that's the thrust of this the rest of it sure you want your players to be a, a part of the community that's obviously part of this whole thing but yeah that can't be the thrust of your argument if you if, like no. you said if, if, if you're if you're counter to somebody's criticism of john wallace but he gives a lot to the city well then we're just talking about two different issues yeah, they come, one has nothing to do with the other. You can say he does great things and he's good for the city. And then you can say on the court, in the locker room, as a leader, you can say he's not been good enough in this way, that way, and that way. They make it seem like because you make that criticism that all of a sudden that means you're saying that he's a bad guy. And that's, come on, man, what kind of, what kind of you know, and, and that's, that's the problem with kind of, you know, trying to be um, objective and constructive about these situations but yeah he he doesn't you look i know of coaches and it's been more than one coach um and these coaches have not necessarily are not necessarily still with the organization but uh but who have complained to me about how out of shape um that he would come in from the offseason now you know and here's the flip side oh he likes to work hard like he he plays hard he plays hurt okay that's great but Maybe I think maybe part of the reason that he has slowed down and these injuries has, have piled up is coming into camp and being out of shape so many times, especially as you get older and that catches up to you. And so I think that's contributed to some of the injury issues that he's had going forward because you got to now put all this extra mileage on your body to now get back in condition. The second thing is, yes, it's, 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 it's a bad example for young guys on the team. And I, I feel a little bit sympathetic towards John and Brad in this regard that they never really had anybody to learn from. I mean, if you look at the people, I remember one time asking John about uh, about leadership and about how he and what we what we and we I mean reporters like about John so much is he generally is really candid. And I asked him about some of the I asked him about being out of shape, uh, not necessarily being the best leader all the time. And he said to me, "Well, I had to learn." He says, and I said something back to him. He says, "Well, who did I have to learn from?" <laughs> and and it was like the most it was the most candid thing that he ever, you know it's like yeah that's true and and I was like he says think about it he says who who's I playing with my rookie year and I started going re reeling off some of the names he's like yeah so you know uh, some of the stuff I had to kind of figure out and I never quite figured out um or and here we are in like year six or seven of his career where he's talking about that but you talk about him coming into camp not in the best shape I also had another coach uh, who's no longer there tell me that. Um, one time he says, John would get to practice on time. That wasn't the issue. The problem was he would get to practice and he was half asleep. And so it wasn't until like halfway through the practice that he kind of started to 
kind of pick up the pace and play the way he needed to play to get a good practice. He's like, but that's, again, that doesn't set a good example for some of the other younger guys around him. He said, we laud him for playing hard, for playing hurt and all this other stuff. But there's so many things behind the scenes that go into making that sausage, so to speak, that most people don't know about or don't see. And that kind of, kind of feeds with some of our constructive criticisms of John Wall over these years have been. So there's plenty of things that, 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 that he could do, um, uh, little things. And I think you're right about Westbrook for, for all of his faults. Um, that, that's something that he's going to be much better about than John Wall was. Uh, and, and, and John, you know, you know, it, it's, 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 it, he's a he's a great you know as we both know he's a he's he's a great guy most of the time but you know i've heard in recent years he's become increasingly difficult to deal with now i haven't been around him in the last few years so i don't know what it's like to deal with him on a day-to-day basis but uh i know when the last time i saw him play that last season that he played before his, his injury took him out he was in indiana he tried to play in that game i could tell he was gimpy and he couldn't run right but my gosh, when I went in that locker room, uh, pregame and postgame, the negative stuff I heard people say about John Wall every which way around that organization told me that they were sick of his stuff back then. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm not surprised it took him this long. He's been hurt. It's, it's hard to move an injured player. But it goes to show you, they, you know, ideally in a perfect world, they would have made this move a couple of seasons ago. But I think the Wizards have a notorious habit for waiting a little too late to make a tough decision. And they were going to have to do this, whether it was a couple years ago, whether it's now. All right. So, uh, look, uh, there's other things to be said. If, you, if you've listened to me over the years talk about this, I mean, you'd have heard me talk about Wall. And, and to your point about, you know, this stuff has come up earlier. Let's not forget the whole every, everybody everybody eats thing from a couple of years ago. And whether that was blown out of proportion or not, it was the underlying current of something was up. That was a sense from the outside, a sense from the inside. Regardless, here's where we're at. I will just say one thing that I do think, to your point about Tommy Shepard, look, I think this is a good deal for Tommy Shepard and for Scott Brooks. Gives them both a chance to make the playoffs, which in turn gives them both a chance to, uh, you know, to have new, to new, have new contracts. But also, I think, look, it, it's, it, it props to Tommy Shepard for recognizing. So I, again, I don't know exactly what's going on, but what happened behind the scenes that led to, to apparently both sides deciding that they needed to set, to end that marriage with, with John Wall, but he was able to convince somebody that something needed to happen, presumably. And he got, and he got it done and he didn't do a Chris Weber for Mitch Richmond trade. Like I said, I mean, he got, he got as, as close to fair value as you could possibly imagine all things considered um, to get the better player and all that stuff. So I think Tommy Shepard did a good job for that, but, 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 but to that end, let's look at the Eastern conference a little bit here. Now that you are, um, we'll get with, with your team, in, in the mix. So here's the way I have this broken down and I don't have a real order per se, but I think in the East, you've got five teams, I think at the top in some order, the Milwaukee Bucks, Brooklyn Nets, Boston Celtics, Philadelphia 76ers, Miami Heat. Again, obviously with this whole year with the, with, with the pandemic and injuries and who, who knows what'll happen. But I think, I think that's probably a fair start. Now Toronto just simply based on reputation probably makes the playoffs, but you know, they, they lose Serge Ibaka. They bring in Aaron Baines. They're playing in Tampa this year. They're not playing even at home. So who knows what's going to happen to them? I'll just assume they're in, but I don't really, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like super duper high on them, but obviously Masai, you know, and Nick Nurse do great jobs. So 
I'm not going to throw them out. Uh, then we get to you guys, the Indiana Pacers. I mean, uh, new coach, so that that's a different dynamic. And we'll see where how Victor Oladipo fits fits in. But obviously, you know, TJ Warren was one of the big uh, winners of of the bubble, and obviously, you still have the Sabonis Miles Turner thing. That maybe that's a bad thing, and maybe that needed to end, but it didn't. But and there's at least talent there. And his typically Indiana has always played, you know, it's been a tough out, not a team that probably advances past round one, but I would assume, I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong. I would assume you think they're one of the top eight teams. And then you have the group of like the wizards, the Hawks, the magic, the bulls, the Hornets, the Pistons, only the Knicks, I guess I would say are out of, of like really possibly, and maybe even the Hornets and the Pistons. I, I don't know, but I feel like the wizards are sort of in there now. Tell me, I guess, one, do you think that you agree, do you agree with sort of that top five and then two more tiers with one Toronto, one Indiana, or do you think it's like there's a clear seven and then the the rest of it is kind of whatever? I actually think Toronto is in the top five, um, believe it or not. I just, there, there's something about them. It's the way they do things, um, the way they develop young players. I mean, who had ever heard of new Terrence Davis was going to be a rotation player and did what he did for them this past year? I mean, uh, I mean, remember Fred Van Vliet. I remember when he worked out for the Wizards and, you know, he went undrafted. Look at Fred Van Vliet. Like, I just think the way they do things, their imagination offensively and defensively, um, that I think they can, you know, are they going to be as good as they've been the past two years? Maybe they won't be in the top two. But for some reason, I think they're going to be in the top four. Um, so that would mean who would I bump out of the four? I'm going to go ahead and say – uh, Boston. I'm going to drop Boston a notch. I don't think do you think Boston got better? Well, what's the deal, I mean, with, Kemba? Got, what's the deal with Kemba? Yeah, his, he's got, he's not going to start the season. I can't remember what his injury is up top of my head. I'll have to look that up right quick, but so, um, yeah, I so, mean, you so, have Tatum and Jalen Brown. Right, it's sort of the same thing. I mean, like I said, I wasn't really discounting Toronto. I just sort of like, you know, I don't know how they're going to do it, but you're right. They, they just always seem to do it, and that's how I sort of view Boston with Brad Stevens. Like no matter what's going on, I'm not going to sort of discount them. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't love them. But okay, but but all that side, they'll all be interesting to very to various degrees, and, I, and I'm fine if to, to make it a top six for me. I'm fine with Toronto being in there. So then the question is: Is Indiana a clear seven, or have the? I mean, the Hawks obviously have made a bunch of moves. Uh, you know, get, yeah. getting getting Bogdanovich, getting Rajon Rondo. Uh, you know, Orlando did make the playoffs last year, and I guess they're largely coming back with the same general group. Um, yeah. And obviously, they, and then you have, you know, the Bulls, an interesting team that, uh, you know, um, you know, you, you know, a lot of younger guys, are they going to take the next step? And then obviously the Wizards did what they just did. I mean, obviously the Wizards arguably have one of the three best backcourts in the league. I mean, I haven't really done the math on that, but I mean, it's got to be way up there just on that perspective. And they, they have like two of the top 30 players at least top, you know, 25, 30 players. Yeah, the, the only the only handicap, the biggest handicap to Orlando, of course, is Jonathan Isaac, who I think is a fantastic player, blowing out his knee in a bubble. Um, so they won't have him. And, and I think Isaac is one of those guys, um, you know, he does so many things so well. Um, and he's so, in terms of can shoot the three, can handle the ball, can defend the rim. Um, so I think Orlando, over the course of a 72-game season, it's going to really feel not having him there. Um, I, I'm, I actually like Atlanta quite a bit. I think I, I, I would put Atlanta above the Wizards in that whole little scrum 
of being in that seven or even eight spot, eight or seven spot. I could see that. The Pacers, I see somewhere around five or six. Um, it, it's hard to say because, um, you know, I don't know what Kate, uh, Coach Nate uh, Yorkren's going to, what his team is going to look like. I think he's, they're going to be a, a quicker, faster, more volume three-point shooting team. Um, they're going to take more risks. You're going to see a lot of guys that you've never heard of that's been hidden on the bench the last few years under McMillan who are going to get more extended opportunity. So I think there's a little bit of unknowns with them, but I think the Pacers are, I would say about the six seed uh, is probably a good spot for them at this moment. Um, so, so, and, based, uh, so based on that, if you think they're in that, can't get a top six seed, then either way, it seems like you, you would think, and I'm not disagreeing with this, that there's like a seven teams in the East similar to I mean, basically where you had last year. I mean, that was my thing before they even made the trade with the, the wall trade was, you know, this idea of wizards making the playoffs. I mean, the top seven teams, when you factor in Brooklyn, the seventh <laughs> without Durant, yeah, they're obviously going to be a lot better. And yeah, I mean, none of those other teams, I mean, maybe Boston and Toronto had slight dips, but nothing that dramatic. So how do you get above them? And now, of course, like we said, Atlanta, the, you know, they, they've made moves to get better. Orlando is still there. So what do you, when you look at the Wizards, I guess, like, okay, so you got Beal, you got Westbrook. They, 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 they kept Davis Burtown five years, 80 million. He's obviously one of the handful of best three-point shooters in the league, but he also may be coming off the bench. You've got Rui Hachimura, Thomas Bryant. Um, you know, I think the Wizards have some actual depth on some level. But at the same time, you know, the center quest, I mean, you know, getting Robert Lopez health, Ish Smith is a pretty solid backup point guard. Um, so, like, if, they, if they're healthy and all this, I mean, I could, like, paint a rosy picture that they could be mm-hmm. good, maybe even better than the eighth seed. But, uh, again, I, there's other teams here. So, get, what, for, uh, so what do you th- where do you think the Wizards fit in now that they actually did this? I, th- I think they could be, they could legitimately be an eight seed. Um, but my only issue with the Wizards with Westbrook is, look, he's, I think he's going to give them an, an immediate injection and give them some life in the short term. Uh, I mean, hell, even maybe in the long term in a 72-game season. My issue with Westbrook is being on this team, and, and, and you mentioned some other good role players, like Bertans is, is a good role player, but he shoots three well. What else does he do well, like exceptionally well? Um, I, I, I don't, you know, defensively, is he a liability? Um, I held a hope that actually, let's be real. That entire team was a defensive liability last year. So I shouldn't, I shouldn't pinpoint Bertans on that. But I, I look at, when I look at the Wizards, I see a team with Westbrook. I see this as being a good regular season team. I don't know, good in the sense that compared to what they've been recently uh, and being able to be an eight seed. I don't necessarily see a team that's any threat to get out of the first round of the playoffs. And you know what, maybe given where they they've been recently getting to the playoffs alone would be considered a success. My biggest thing with them, it's the same way it was with, with wall and Beal when they were both healthy playing together. Once you, you know, what's the, the long-term kind of outlook for the team. And I'm not sure what that is. And, you know, let's face it. When you're allowed to have fans back in the arena, the one box that Westbrook checks is putting asses in seats, right? And we know that's huge to ownership. You know, even if you get only win 37 games, you make the first round of the playoffs, get two home games and put some butt in seats, butts in seats, that's the priority. Is is I'm thinking about is this when is this team going to be good enough to legitimately say not only are they a playoff team, but they're a team that can advance. And I still think that's 
that roster's a little bit ways off when it comes to that. I think Tommy has to make another move or two uh, in order to be able to say this is a team that can 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 do something. Of course, if you're going to do something, you can't be an eight seed because your chances of beating a one seed in the playoffs are very slim. Uh, here's the other question, though, Ben, that I hadn't really thought about until just now. Um, Westbrook Beal and who's running the team and all that kind of stuff. Who's the coach long term? Like, is it is it a good pairing to have Westbrook with Scott Brooks as his head coach? Is, is Westbrook pretty much going to take over and say, this is my show? And is Brooks going to be the guy that says, takes the keys away from that car and says, no, uh, Bradley Beal is the guy. Like, and I'm interested in that dynamic too. And if Brooks isn't that guy, then now you have another decision to make within the next year that can also tilt this one way or the other. Well, and I think that like, I, I agree with all that about the questions. This is to the point of like, this is the one bad thing that while I think Tommy Shepard has proven to be his own man, he's not, he's not followed the same path as Ernie Grunfeld had. Even last year, last year, I really liked some of the smaller deals that, that he made, you know, like, like getting Bertans, you know, that they, they took some random pieces they had to take a team that needed to get rid of money. And obviously that, you know, the Bertans deal worked out and he did some other things, you know, they bought a second round pick, you know, some stuff like that. Uh, but one thing this team is, they, this team is very rarely playing from ahead. They're almost always playing from behind. And this was another example of that to some degree. I mean, they had to get rid of John Wall, basically. So they had to do something. So to some degree, like I said before, they kind of kicked the can down the road a little bit. We don't even know how, like, how long. I mean, Westbrook's had his own injury history. And while he seems indestructible, he's not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he is getting up there a little bit. But, you know, by the time his contract's over, he'll be, what, 35, I think? So we'll see mm -hmm. how it plays out. And as far as the Scott Brooks part goes, uh, look, I mean, <laughs> I definitely have questions. I've stated them previously. And one of the questions you had at Oklahoma City was he didn't believe in always like staggering Durant and Westbrook. And I think that with Beal and Westbrook, you know, a big question is if Bradley Beal's development that he's shown the last couple of years with him being able to be an on the ball uh, ball handler, how is that working with Russell Westbrook on the court? I think one way that you can make that work is separate them. So effectively you always have one of them on the court at all times. Um, and that's, that, then there's the other creative ways. Maybe you can use Westbrook the way Houston did last year, but I don't know if that's in Scott Brooks's bag. I, I don't know that we've seen that based on how he was using Wall and Beal to some degree. And even yeah. last year, well, he, he led Ball, Beal, in my opinion, Brooks knows more about basketball than I do, but in my opinion, let Beal sort of morph into Wall too much. Like it was way too much ball dominant at times. And while he put up big numbers, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't love that, but um but yeah, no, there's a, there's definitely questions. I, I don't know. The Scott Brooks part's interesting. Last year of his contract, he's making $7 million a year. I would have bet good money that was it for him. Now, I mean, you know, they could make the playoffs. They, they should be better, if nothing else, just based on record. Um, you could easily see them keeping him now, except that are you going to do it again at $7 million coming off of already the way things ended last year from a revenue perspective? Now, this year, probably not going to be great from a revenue perspective. Is Ted Leone just going to want to give – any coach seven million dollars and if he doesn't will scott brooks stay for less so i i don't th th those are those are interesting um you know dynamics that we, you know, we won't know for a while you, you'd you'd imagine tommy shepherd would want to hire his own coach um and I, I it would be hard for me to believe that scott would be the guy long term even if he thought scott was doing a good job you know that's it, this typical over these situations um, you know, guys who come in in a position like Tommy taking over the role may want to open it up a bit and, and, and hire his own guy. 
um, not not sink or swim with someone else's guy. Um, the other thing too, you know, I think about Brooks is, you know, if you go back to, I went back and looked at some some more of, of uh, his last couple of years coaching Westbrook in Oklahoma City. And, you know, there's that, that comment that Westbrook made the other day about how, you know, it was almost like he never left because they're running a lot of the same stuff that he's familiar with. And I asked the question, is is on Twitter? Is this is that a good thing? <laughs> is that a good thing? Yeah. If it's a lot of the same stuff. And you know what? If you look at Westbrook playing with Durant, one of the guys has the ball. Um, one of the guys like runs a zipper cut, comes up and gets the ball, or runs some sort of shallow cut to the other side of the floor. They get the ball. The other guy clears out to the opposite side. That player with the ball isolates, and you see basically three other guys standing around. <laughs> hoping that their grav their gravity with the ball gets them enough room to where they can catch the ball and if if Kevin Durant or Westbrook doesn't take the shot that they draw enough attention that if the ball gets thrown at them they'll be ready spotting up in the corner to shoot and there's not a whole lot of stuff you know it's not like you're watching Golden State where you know the ball is over here you got all of this going on with Steph and then here on a weak weak side of the floor you got all this split in the post action that's going on with Klay Thompson you know, and you got Draymond Green, uh, you know, doing what he does and and, and um, doing uh, setting multiple screens for other guys, popping into the corner. People are cutting everywhere. Uh, I mean, hell, look at how Miami played, how the Miami Heat got to the NBA Finals this year. It was nothing but off-ball movement and cut and cutting and that sort of stuff. That's not what you saw, at least that's not what I saw, watching Westbrook play his last couple of seasons or, or any of his seasons with Scott Brooks, Brooks as his head coach. So I'm, I'm looking at that and said, are we going to pretty much see something similar between Westbrook and Beal? And again, I think both guys are one of the guys, they can have great individual numbers. And this is where numbers can lie to you because their usage rates are so high, but in those kind of, they're going to get theirs, but is it going to make other people like Bertans is going to make him better? Is it going to make Rui Hachimura better? Is it going to make Ishmith better? Is it going to make Robin Lopez better? That's the biggest question. I don't give a damn about how many triple doubles. I know every time Russell Westbrook gets a triple double, you know, people are going to go ballistic like he's got a triple double. But did he make these other guys around him better? And you'll be able to tell that when you get to the postseason, that's why, you know, you say, well, I'm not being a pessimist, but I guess I kind of am. But that's why, you know, if you look at Westbrook and as great as his numbers has been in recent years with the MVP run, where did his teams get with him doing that sort of stuff? Because when you get to a seven game series, that doesn't work as well. Um, and I, I, wor- I wonder about a guy like Hachimura, how he's really going to fit in and develop with, you know, Beal and uh, a ball dominant Westbrook on the floor with him. Is he just going to be standing there parked in the corner, um, lonely and looking lost? like Otto Porter was for so many years. <laughs> right. And that's the thing, right? People like say, well, if he's getting a triple double, he's getting at least 10 assists. But there's a difference between ha- having the ball. This is like always with me with like an Allen Iverson assist. It's one thing you have the ball and the way John Wall would and other classic point guards, you know, create opportunities, you know, in, in many ways to put people in a really good position to get to get the shot. You kind of know as the, you sense as the receiver of the past where it's coming from to some degree and get ready with Westbrook though. It's not really, is it's not, he's not a classic point guard in any way, shape or form. Mm. And just, he has the ball a lot and he passes it to teammates. 
who then will get a basket and that'll be the assist. But it's not like, I don't think there's, I, I suspect he's not going to have his guys being as comfortable on the catch because they don't always know where it's going to come from. And, you know, he does do a lot of the, um, you know, he's even more, he's even more ball dominant than John Wall, which is, you know, which is saying, which is saying something. So, I, yeah, I mean, like, I do think, for example, like Berton is somebody who maybe took a bit of a hit with the trade because I think he yeah. would have been better off having Wall set him up than, than with Westbrook. And uh, you're right. I mean, for the, for the Wizards to ultimately take another step, like Hachimura has to have sort of a Pascal Siakam type, yeah. type of league. Troy Brown has to emerge, not just as a guy who could play a little bit, but like a guy who could play, you know, real minutes in a, in a rotation for a playoff team. And we haven't gotten there yet, you know, and Thomas Bryant, you know, what he did in the bubble, he needs to, needs to keep going, um, yeah. st- stuff like that. Um, we'll, we'll come back to the, to the actual basketball stuff in a second. We're talking with uh, J. Michael, a Pacers reporter, Indianapolis star at this is J. Michael on Twitter, yada, yada, yada. If you follow him on Twitter, you know, so that's, that's, that's your call. I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> that. Yeah. yeah, you know, uh, you know, stuff happens. Um, I, I got a couple random questions that I ask people when they uh, when they uh, agree to come on this podcast, and maybe why some of them don't don't come back. No, I'm just kidding. Um, all right, ready? Random questions. You are allowed to. I forgot to tell you this earlier. Ra- okay. You can a- you can ask me any of these questions you want as well when we're done, or you can make up your own question and put me on okay. the spot. Up to you. Okay. But here we go. First off, person you wish followed you on Twitter that doesn't. Is this anybody or is this just sports related? Anybody you want. I pick Rihanna. Rihanna? Oh. <laughs> oh, boy. I wish I could repeat some of the Rihanna discussions that we've had. Oh, um, yeah, but I can't. Uh, I might get you arrested. Um, person I wish you followed me on Twitter who does not. Um, uh anything probably um justin guarini oh my god you're you're you're, you're sticking with this bit that doesn't seem like, that doesn't seem that complicated i would imagine if you just tweeted at him and said hey well <laughs> hey, you, you, hey, you gotta get a follow hey man he had the great he had the great dr pepper commercial remember that sweet you know that's a i respect that's- that yeah I, I respect anybody who's untalented who's made a lot of money um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I like, I like weird, you know, I, you know what? I take it back. I, you know what? I'll tell you who I really want to follow me. I, I actually would like Guarini, Guarini to follow me, but, um, the real OJ Simpson. <laughs> sure. Sure. Why, why not? The real OJ Simpson. Hey, I, I, I got, I got a lot of questions to ask him. I mean, I, just, I, I want to slide in his DMs like, Hey man, this is just between you and me, you know, Hey, what's up? You know? Did, you know, obviously, did you do it? I, well, I don't really need to ask, did he do it? Because we know he did it. That's besides the point. Wait, do you? Uh, wait, wait, I have a question. You don't follow Justin Guarini on Twitter, do you? Uh, I don't know. Do I? I don't think you do because I'm looking. I just pulled him up, and you, uh, I don't see you, you follow him. I think you gotta, I think you gotta follow him. By the way, he he has forty thousand followers. Now that's more than than either one of us have, but it's not that much more considering he was, you know, fairly famous at one point. Uh, I mean, American Idol was a long time ago. <laughs> I'm fascinated by marginally talented people who've made a lot of money despite being marginally talented. Well, that, that, that would have described me except for the make a lot of money part. <laughs> no, but, yeah, but, come, but come on, dude. Imagine if OJ Simpson followed you. Come on. That would be just, <clears throat> I like, I don't even play golf and I'd like to play around a golf with him. I just have so many questions. Just, just so much stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm right. just, and, and his videos are the best. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> 
Um, who is your uh, all-time favorite athlete? Ooh, this goes to any sport. All-time favorite athletes, probably, probably Sugar Ray Leonard. Uh, as as um, Sugar Ray is my all-time favorite boxer for sure. So I got no no issues um, with with that. If uh, he he's somebody, he's a. Uh, he, he's a he's somebody I would uh, you know uh, if I could manifest some people to come on my podcast he would be uh, high on the list. I know Ray. I know Ray. Actually, that's the weirdest thing, man. I got to know him through my boxing when I used to do boxing, and uh, he and I had dinner one night in Puerto Rico. We ran into each other in the hotel. Um, I had done some stuff, some interviews with him previously, and you know, and uh, yeah. So it's it's wild, and you know, of course, we talked about the kind of stuff you would expect somebody who's sitting down having lunch or dinner with Sugar Ray Leonard to talk about, but. It was that he's the only person I'm not, I'm not in awe talking to any athlete. I don't care who it is because I mean, I, I grew up around pro athletes in my, actually in my, um, in my family. But so I was never really, you know, fascinated by that per se. Um, but Sugar Ray Leonard was the first guy that I was like, Oh snap. Everybody has that one person um, who's like, yeah, that's, you know, you know, cause I, I grew up on him. So yeah, Ray is, Ray, Ray is the guy. I'm blanking on this. Do I know this? Who is a pro athlete you grew up around? In my family, yeah. Um, Doug Doug Williams was a uh, my my sister uh, was married to the starting running back that played with Doug Williams um, uh, in college, and Doug was a family friend. So I remember coming to Tampa. Uh, we had dinner at Doug's house one night when he was early in his career in Tampa. Uh, got to know. Um, uh, um, uh, we went to Dallas for a game one time because Everson Walls left, left us tickets because he also played college ball. Uh, my uh, my brother in law he was he was roommates with with Cubby when Cubby was a, a freshman in college. So it's just all you know some guys from the Green Bay Packers, some linemen, Ezra Johnson, all of these guys who were just kind of that's the kind of circles that we always ran in. Uh, and I was a kid, so it wasn't that it was common to see people like that around. And I also had a, a sister who worked in uh, dealing with scripts for the Wayans brothers in, in, a, in Hollywood. So her, um, her roommate at the time um, used to date Prince. <laughs> this is years ago. So that's that kind of talk and those kind of people were always around in some form or fashion um, uh, when I was growing up. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah I, I didn't realize your, your sister's roommate was Carmen Electra. That's pretty cool. Well, yeah, well, you know, unfortunately, I don't have any of their wealth. None of their wealth rubbed off on me. But uh, so but it was just common to see like famous people or people with a lot of money or people with some sort of status or some stuff like that. That wasn't a, that wasn't that big of a deal to me. But Ray Leonard was, you know, he was the one guy who I encountered where I was like, you know, wow, you know, you know, you know, remember when Dave Chappelle said when he met Rick James, he had this glow around him. Well, Ray Leonard had that glow around him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for, for sure. I met him once when I was a kid. That was very, uh, very cool. Um, based on a hobby or a habit, what's a Hall of Fame you qualify to enter? Oh, boy. A hobby or a habit? Yeah. Like, I, I forgot what my original choice was, but uh, I, I had J.P. Finley on here a couple of weeks ago, and he and I are both uh, uh, 7-Eleven first ballot Hall of Famers for how often we go in there. So that's what I have. That's my uh, that, that's my uh, Hall of Fame. 7-Eleven first ballot. 7-Eleven? 7-Eleven is a disgusting. 
where you always get those crappy hot dogs with the oh, disgusting no. cheese with the disgusting cheese filling or the jalapeno cheese. I mean, I'm not saying I haven't in my life, but it's been a long time for that. Eh, it's just a right, it's just a regular just coffee. But yes, I mean, I, look, I've had 7-Eleven pizza more than I care to admit. But oh, that's, any of dis- it, that's disgusting. Look, what, this is about you. We've we've heard people heard oh. about me. Pick pick oh. your own pick your own habit. Um, mine is probably Dunkin' Donuts, just a straight up black coffee. All right, you're you're a Dunkin' Donuts guy. Got I'm it. a Dunkin' Donut. I like Dunkin' Donuts. Is so I think Starbucks is so overrated. So I hope they don't sponsor anything that you do because they'll probably pull their advertising money. But um, yeah, I'm a Dunkin' Donuts guy. Not for the don <laughs> the donuts. The donuts suck. Obviously, it's for the coffee. Got it. Um, fair enough. Um, uh, uh just because I've kept you a while, I won't I won't uh, ring hit you with too many other questions here. So if you have a question for me, either one of those, or you can have your own about whatever you're you're welcome to ask uh well let's see what we can ask ben um well hey who who's your twitter follow that you wish you had uh, i said rihanna oh, you said Rih- like, well other than rihanna wait. i knew i would have guessed see tell me somebody yeah other than rihanna because i could have guessed rihanna without you <laughs> saying anything well There's like if I, if, I conversations. Keep, if I keep a two-hour <laughs> conversations uh yeah uh if, if i had to keep it to something sort of like within our business uh, I think somebody, when I did this pick Scott Van Pelt, I think that's a good one. I mean, he's from here. He's obviously huge in the industry. Uh, you know, he's now living back in DC. So I think Scott Van Pelt would be a good one. Oh man, what a kiss up. Okay. Well, I, mean, I guess that would make sense. Yeah. Sure. I mean, like, I mean, he also like, 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 let's even say Rihanna did that. Like she doesn't actually tweet that often. She would never be paying any attention to what I'm doing. But Scott Van Pelt actually like gets engaged with, people about whatever's happening so that would help the street cred if uh, that were happening even beyond the actual oh I, i'm surprised you didn't say it was lebron <laughs> i did the other the, the other the other day uh chase young before the thanksgiving game when asked about it he said oh it's you know everybody's gonna be watching like lebron and everybody's gonna be watching chase young is wrapped by clutch sports so when i re- when i tweeted the quote I didn't just say LeBron. I added LeBron. Like, well, if I can get the uh, if I can get the retweet on this, I'll take it. Even if uh, you know, you think LeBron actually runs his own Twitter account? Uh, no, but I mean, he tweets stuff. I mean, he definitely yeah. tweets. His... A, a lot of these, but a lot of these guys. I, I was talking to an All Star player one time. He was like, "Yeah, everybody thinks I'm tweeting that stuff." He's like, "You know, my 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 PR agency or his his manager or whatever." Handles all that. He said they know what my voice is, so they make it seem like he said, I never see any of that stuff. I don't even have Twitter on my phone. And this is a guy who, and you look at some stuff he'll he'll tweet out, and people will be like talking to you know, because all these fans or people out there are trying to get retweets and kiss up to him. It's like if you guys had any idea, you're not even talking to him. <laughs> it's like a lot of these guys do it just out of obligations because in order to um, collect whatever you know a lot of them have endorsement deals and and being on social media is part of their deal so um i cannot imagine with all all the hooks that lebron has in so many different areas of business and media and and stuff outside of basketball that he could possibly do all of that himself i just don't think he can do it but Fair, fair enough um last question to circle it back to the to the wizards so okay so you got bradley beal you got russell westbrook two of the best guards in the league yeah. Do I don't know what he, I'm assuming they will pick an all-star game this year, even if they don't actually play it. Yeah. So would do, do either one of them make the all-star game? 
and do either one of them make all NBA? And you have to specify Oof. which. Oof. I think in order for either one of them have to make up, especially, you know, I, I think if anybody would make it, it would be Russ only, be, not because he would deserve it more, but because he has more equity with people who vote for some reason and his name recognition is greater. Um, so if I had to pick if one, if it was one of them, I would pick it that, that it would be Russell Westbrook because he is so much like a bull in a China shop. He will will something to an existence, even if in the bigger picture, it's not good for Beal or the rest of the team. I think he's, I could get political and compare him to someone, but just will force something to an existence, even though it shouldn't happen to me, that's Westbrook. Um, but I think in order for, for either guy to make all NBA, that team has to be a playoff team, or even if it's, even if it's only a seven or an eight seed, um, there's precedent for you not, being a playoff team and making all NBA, for instance. But I think the last, wasn't the last guy to do that was Boogie Cousins. And that was like five years ago. And before him, you know, that, that rarely happens all NBA. If you look at all NBA teams, most of those guys are in playoff teams and whether it's fair or not, I know a lot of people say Beal or, you know, in this case, Westbrook may have so much responsibility for lifting this team up from where it came from, uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, but I think the benefit to Beal, though, Ben, is that now, because Westbrook is here or is in D.C., that he's going to get more people, especially nationally, paying attention to him than normally pays attention to him. Um, so I think there can be a little bit of a side benefit for, for Beal in that regard, that his name recognition grows for being connected to Russ. But I just see Russ's personality is so dominant that if it's that. I would put Russ ahead of him getting either one of those uh, selections before Beal. And in order for both of them to, to make that leap, I mean, they would have to have a season that surprises everybody. Like I, they couldn't be an eight seed. They'd have to be like, the Wizards would have to be like a five seed or something. And then maybe you could see a scenario where both of them make all NBA team or make uh, NBA all-star team. But um, uh, any success they have, uh, as a team, I think people nationally, their automatic, their default is going to go to Westbrook. And as a result, I think that takes a little bit away from Beal, rightly or wrongly. I think it would probably be right. wrong to do that, but I think that's what people generally do. Yeah. I mean, I, gen I genuinely believe uh, Bradley Beal when he talks about, like, he, for him, it's about winning. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, I mean, look, they, they haven't won a lot the last couple of years, and I genu genuinely believe that. But, but also that said, he made a big stink that he and people in his world made a big stink that he didn't make the all-star team and didn't make the all NBA team. Well, you know, he had some pretty, pretty you know, insane numbers to not make an all NBA team. And the yeah. reality is like on the all-star front in the straight popularity contest, I mean, Westbrook has a chance to actually be voted in as a starter. I'm not saying it's a lock. Yeah. You have Kyrie Irving, you have Ben Simmons, Trey Young, there's, yeah. you, know, you know, Jimmy Butler, I guess if he counts as a guard, if Milwaukee, is uh, is running away with it, you know? Maybe Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday get in, you know? Who knows? So I'm not saying it's a lot, but he could get in as a starter. Beal does not have that cachet, and then you know, on the other front, I mean, Westbrook is going to likely put up big numbers one way or the other, and you know, Beal's not going to score 30 points again just because there's going to be another ball dominant player out there. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I think Westbrook has a better chance there. And then on the All NBA front to some degree, it's sort of the same situation. I mean, it, it's going to be, it, there's no way it'll be both. 
and I, I probably would imagine it'll be Westbrook. I mean, he made it last year, and uh, you know, this based on reputation, if nothing else, and which is not to you know, I think Bradley Beal should have made it last year, but he didn't. So uh, yeah, anyway, I so agree. while I so if the Wizards win and all that happened, is one thing. I do just wonder. This is about the kicking the can down the road part. You know, what does that do for Bradley Beal? You know, he in theory, you know, it's gonna he was gonna be there building around him, and now you have West, Russell Westbrook. So. Uh, it'll be interesting. I, look, I, I, if, I, I, if I'm Beal, I'm, I want if, hey Brad, get the hell out of DC. I just you, I, I'm worried about him wasting have, have the there. prime of his. I'm, I'm 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 worried about it from his perspective of just trying to be loyal to all this stuff, but wasting the prime of your career. Even if let's say let's say Westbrook and Beal turn out to work together somewhat, and it's okay, right? And Beal's deal is coming up, but. You probably there's a good chance by the time his deal comes up, he still hasn't gotten out of the first round of the playoffs, <laughs> and during those years, like right. So now the best years of your career are going by. Your chances of winning the championship are closing. Um, I, I tell you this: if, if he's not making All Star teams or definitely not making All NBA teams with Westbrook, um, what? Why would you? Why would you stick stick around for that? And. I know people in DC don't want to hear that, but at some point I think Beal has to think about be a little bit selfish and there's, there's times to be selfish and, and think about his legacy and exactly what he's trying to accomplish. Because I think regardless of any of his shortcomings or faults, I think he's given more than his pound of flesh to try to make this team successful, despite some of the crap that that's gone on between him and John Wall and how, you know, sometimes um, they didn't seem to always care, particularly when they played. That, that's what I was reading David Aldridge's column um, about the trade, and, and he hit the nail on the head. He took the words right out of my mouth that Wall and Beal were great when they played against, you know, LeBron and some of these 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 marquee teams, and they brought it, and they would upset them on national TV, and you'd be like, wow, they're ready to make the next step, and then they'll play a team like Charlotte or Sacramento, and they'll end up getting work, and that's the part that always drove me crazy about the Wall and Beal tandem. Um, so, you know, so Beal gets some of the blame for that too, uh, as well of why they haven't gotten beyond, they had to mix up the chemistry, blah, blah, blah. But at some point, I think he's got to be a little bit selfish and, 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 and demand, look, if we don't get these certain building blocks in place, I'm out of here. And I would dare to say if this relationship between him and Russell Westbrook short term goes south for me, if I'm the wizards, that would be on the table because I think um, if, if this isn't going to work short term um, that Beal may want to go anyway. So um, right. well, look, we, why not? we can't, we can't look the, the wizards fan base, whatever, whatever they're having a rough time of this already. I mean, you know, regardless of what they think of Westbrook, they were all in on Wall, which I get. I'm not gonna. We, I, I can't. I can't even discuss the idea of Beal leaving them now. Even if I'm saying kick the can down the road, we don't have to get into specifics <laughs> now. I, I don't want to put them through the, you know, the holidays are going to be tough this year anyway with everything that's going on. So we don't have to. We don't have to send them down the road. I, I will just say this, just to end it all here. Go. I've been killing them for weeks and months of the saying this is the least interested I've been in them forever. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen, but they are far more interesting today with Russell Westbrook than they were before because Russell Westbrook True. is one of the stars of the league. It's just fascinating to see something different, the wall build dynamic, you know, without opening up a can of worms here, bringing back wall and Beal with the other pieces they had was a lesser of a team 
than what they had three and three or four years ago when they were actually, you know, a borderline contender. And even if Westbrook is better than where Wall is now, uh, you know, I'm not the rest of the thing. We'll, we'll see, but they're they're far more interesting. At least for nothing else, I will take that as somebody who's got to pay attention to this team. So I'm excited for that, and the rest of it, we'll just see what happens. Yeah, take some chances, man. It can't be bad. They they they've stayed pat way too much, way too long. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. All right, man, uh, go read J. Michael on at the uh, Indie Star at this is J. Michael on Twitter. Like I said, uh, I am not responsible for anything that he says on Twitter. If you follow him, that's on you. Uh, yes. But uh, but that's it. Go read him. And, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. Thanks, man. All right, man. All right. That's it for this episode of the Standard Room Only podcast. Always appreciate you guys checking out the podcast, uh, checking me out on the Athletic on Twitter, wherever you find me. I really do appreciate it. Uh, honestly, it's been it's been a long year for all of us. And I definitely, it's good to know there's people out there who you know give a crap about what's going on on this end. And obviously we all have a common interest, whether it's the football team, the Wizards or whatever, or just uh, DC sports, all that fun stuff. Glad we can uh, communicate and keep in and chat with each other. Uh, or in this case, you guys listening to me yodel with uh, some fun guests and many thanks of course as well to michael phillips from the richmond times dispatch and jay michael for their time more to come obviously an eventful week guess what trent williams and kyle shanahan are on deck at against the 49ers in a game they'll be held in arizona because of course 2020 this is what we're dealing with but plenty to get to this week on the standard groom only podcast as well as the athletic as well that's it for now ben standick signing off until next time Yeah.